preacher says, called this this evening, the vanity of wealth. It's that is the, uh, basically it was just the, the chapter, the, the title of the chapter the ESV Bible gave. And I thought it was just good enough and didn't have to come up with another one. Um, the vanity of wealth. To start with, uh, in his book, I'm going to go talk about Wayne Grudem. In his book, Business for the Glory of God. Enables us to subdue the earth by producing from the earth goods and services that bring benefit to others. Money enables all of mankind to be productive and enjoy the fruits of that productivity thousands of times more extensively than we could if no human being had money and we just had to barter with each other. Consider the following factors that describe money. It is more widely accepted than bartered goods of any kind, including food. It lasts longer than most goods. It is more transportable than other goods. Everyone is willing to exchange goods for money. It stores, it, uh, stores value until uh, ex- exchanged or spent. It makes voluntary exchanges more fair, less wasteful, and more extensive. Money makes the world go round, it says. That's from the, from the musical. Money talks, we hear. And show me the money. All things that we are so familiar with. We live in a consumer-driven society. If you look at the TV, you can't but help but getting bombarded with PPI. Or you do more money. Or, you, or do the banks owe you more money. There's always a deluge of uh, advertisements on the TV, commercials. Got lawyers for you. Did you get hurt? You can get more money. We can get you some money. You got all these luxury holiday brochures you can get. Billboards are up on buses. It goes on and on. Everybody, this whole society is just consumer driven. Wants you to... To get more, you you deserve more. The whole world seems to be colluding to stir up discontentment in us. Saying, you deserve more. Should we assume or perhaps are we led to believe that if a person possesses wealth, possessions, honor, numerous children, a large family, good health, uh, all throughout his or her life that he's blessed by God? Let us see what the preacher has observed. So we're going to start with verses 8 and 9. Do not be amazed, says the preacher in verse 8. Do not marvel or be astonished by this. Here at the start he is describing what what we have already today become all familiar with. It's just the way things are. He says, people uh, with power taking advantage over the poor and powerless. He says, if you see in in uh, in the province which is basically a, a jurisdiction, a, uh, uh, a district. The preacher says, um, a typical government bureaucracy, he says, in which the different levels of rank within the system look out for each other and turn a blind eye when corruption occurs. He said, that's just the way it is. The, the one above you, you look out for each other in, in, your, uh, in these places. Uh, take, it, take it for reality, that's, that's the way it is. Um, it's the way it always has been and always will be. Those with haughty ambitions to climb the socio-economic ladder will look out for themselves at the expense of others. That is the way that it is with life under the sun. And he says, do not be astonished at this. And no matter how high they climb, 
There will always be someone higher than them. Wealth itself is not the problem, but the insatiable desire for it is. If you remember back in chapter 4, when we were looking at this, the oppression, he, uh, the, the preacher says, he says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. So it is our inherent envy, our inherent nature that makes us want to climb up. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is in, in society. That's the way you find it in government. Uh, each one watching each other's back to get ahead. Um, and that's just the way it is. And this is his observation. Then we come to verse 9. In verse 9, I happen to find, come to this, uh, it says in, in my Bible or in the, uh, in the commentaries, this is the, one of the most difficult verses to, uh, uh, there's no meaning. The Hebrew meaning is a bit unambiguous. So it's, uh, you can be, it can be read two ways. Um, in the ESV, verse 9, it says, How regain for the land in every way the king is uh, committed. It's, um, what did he say? But this gain for land in every way a king committed to cultivated fields. That's a, po- that's a positive way to look at it. The king is there and he's committed to the, um, to the fields, to the, to the production, to uh, helping things remain in order. He's the one that's over all of it. And even though it, it's a tyranny, it could be, it, he stops it from being anarchy. So then it would be all chaos. So the king, it's a good thing to have a king, one way of looking at this verse, as a positive. But the, uh, there was a negative way to look at this. and that, I got that from the, uh, the New Living Translation. It translates verse 9 as this. Even the king milks the land for his own par- profit. So here, the king, all the, all the wealth, all that wealth that, from the poor man to the one above him, all taken a bit, even the king grabs his bit at the very top. He milks the land. He's in it for himself as well. And this brings you back to where, uh, where uh, I've just been reading through Samuel. And, it, and uh, we find in, in Samuel where, where the Israelites, they wanted a king. Um, he told them this had happened with the king. Uh, he said that there will be ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. He will appoint them to his chariots and his, be his horsemen. He will appoint for himself commanders from your people uh, to plow plow his ground and reap his harvest. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take a tenth of your flocks. So here we see Coalesce saying, and I think it's probably more of a right way to view verse 9, is that the king's in for it too. He's milking the land, although he's there, he's keeping anarchy at bay, but yeah, he's still. And that's the way it is. And that's the way um, it always has been, the observation of the preacher. Wealth always goes to the top. Money seems to flow up. Um, I, want a, I want a better position so I get more, so I keep this guy down so I can get, get ahead. And that's his observation in, in the world, verses 8 and 9. Ray Pritchard, he writes this. He says, Is Solomon asking us to accept this state of affairs? Yes and no, he says. Yes, in the sense that we live in a fallen world 
and should not be shocked that people in authority abuse their trust to line their own pockets. On the other hand, if we lose our sense of moral outrage, we become complacent and actually begin to accept as normal that which is morally wrong. The fact that sin reigns in the human heart means that we'll never be rid of corrupt leaders, but that's no excuse for for tolerating official misconduct. If you go back to verse 8 for a moment, um, we, we, did, we had read that his uh, coalesce says, Do not be amazed at the violation of justice and righteousness. And that's pricked my mind because just recently last week, uh, we were just looking at two verses. This is what, how God has established his salvation, what he has said. He said, uh, last week we read in, uh, or listened to in Isaiah 56, 1, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness, my righteousness be revealed. And then on Wednesday night we had this, Genesis eighteen nineteen. For I have chosen him, that is Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring, may bring Abraham to be to what he has promised him. There is a time to speak out against corruption, to protest, to write letters, to sign petitions, and maybe even God may call you to run for local government office so that he can make a difference. But ultimately, we know that the highest authority in heaven and on earth is God. And his righteousness and justice will be established. So although we see these things happening in verses 8 and 9 in the, in the, in the world, in the way it is, in the way it's always been, but we know that one day, it will be made right. God's righteousness and His justice will prevail. So which brings us to the next sort of paragraph that we read. Uh, paragraph uh, starting from verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Greedy people always want more. No matter how much they have, they want more. Paul tells Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, he says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is a powerful thing. The more wealth a person has, the greater is his burden in keeping it. Verse 11 says, When goods increase, they increase to who eat them. And what advantage has their owner to, but to see them with his eyes? Pastor Gins, I just pulled this, spoke this morning of the slippery road of idolatry. And he talked about the God of the, of the lottery. Um, wouldn't that be great, huh? To, to win the lottery? But listen to what happened to uh, uh, this news article I, I picked up out of the, uh, out of the paper. And this is an old one. Um, it says this. Bill Curry of South Boston worked most of his life as a cafeteria cook for the Merritt Food Company in Boston on a modest income by which he managed to provide for his wife, son, and daughter. When Bill Curry won the state lottery, $3.6 million, his first thought was to buy a Dalmatian puppy for the youngsters. That was the extent of his celebration. But when the parasites converged, the lawyers, the investment advisors, the accountants, and financial analysts He was overwhelmed by them and by people wanting handouts for all manners of charities. He returned to his job in the cafeteria 
But there, but even their financial advisors were everywhere. His nearest relative says, there's no doubt about it, in the weeks since he won the lottery, it was not the money that caused his stress, but it was all those people who wanted to deal themselves in. And Bill Curry, he died of a heart attack at age 37. With, with goods increase, so increases their, those that want to suck it from you. Uh, think of the man who then gets promoted to CEO. He has to spend now more money on his wife's uh, wardrobe. More money, more, more there. He has to spend bigger parties to influence his people around him. Uh, he has to have lawyers involved in things. There's always going to be more things. The more money you make, or the more money you have, the quicker uh, it, it goes away. The, uh, the hangers-ons, the financial consultants, it's like you attach a huge hose pipe to your, to your wealth and you turn, turn it on and just watch it all flow away. And Coalesce says, what can you do but only watch it with your eyes? Then we have in verse 12, he says, Sweet is the, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. I don't know about you, but when I work hard, I have no problem going to sleep at night. I can sleep, and I let it go. I can let everything go. Coleth says, that's them. Whether I eat much or little, I don't worry. I'm tired. I can, I can sleep. But he says, not so rich person. With a rich person, he has cares. He has worries. Is, is the stock market going to crash tomorrow? Um, is so-and-so trying to get, a, get a, a foot over him? As he read from verses 8 and 9, is he going to be... Uh, taken over by somebody, somebody, somebody else. Um, he can never sleep. He doesn't know if his riches are going to last. They won't last. Um, so he, sleep evades him. Um, it was interesting to read about Simon Cowell. I was doing my research um, as early as 2012. This is what happened to him. You might have remembered this. Uh, due, to his, due, to, due to the demands in him, uh, he had to withdraw from filming auditions for the X Factor. I don't know if you remember this or not. And was placed in a strict detox program to battle his demons. He reportedly told the X Factor's Louis Walsh, I don't want any more tablets and pills. I'm cutting out the lot, including cigarettes. I desperately need peace. I'm craving normality. I've got to work out my demons and come out of it. I have to get back where I was years ago. I had to stop reading texts at three in the morning and making calls later and later. I wanted peace. So we think of Simon Cowell who's got all of this this big empire around him. And you can think of so many so many of those that we see in the media, so many of those that we see in the uh, arts and films. They're not happy. All that wealth, all that fame, all that honor gives them, they're not happy. Um, Bishop J.C. Ryle said it well. He says, money is is in truth one of the most unsatisfying of all possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. There is the trouble in getting of it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. There are temptations in the use of it. There is the guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it. And there is perplexity in the disposing of it. Yes, this, this uh, love of money, this love of silver, uh, Koaleth, he, he observed, 
is not all what it is amounts up to be. And we'll learn more in, in a bit about how, how the blessing will be from God for those that have that wealth. But we go on to, to uh, these next, this next paragraph, uh, verses 13 to 17. There is, a, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad, in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. He has come from his mother's womb. He shall go, he shall, as he came from his mother's womb, so so shall he go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. So here we have in these verses the bottom line. Just as you come into the world, so shall you go. Again, Paul tells Timothy in uh, six, uh, 1 Timothy verse uh, chapter 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Wisdom from Paul. Very good. Very good wisdom. So how do you, how do you define contentment? It's a resting, a satisfaction of mind, Without disquiet, it's acceptance. The preacher indicates in these verses, uh, no contentment in these verses. Riches kept to the owner's hurt. Riches lost in a bad venture. No inheritance to give his son. The vanity of gaining material wealth. All the toil and labor expended. Of what use is it as you leave this world? Because you leave the world the same as you came in. So the rich spends all his days eating in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Vexation refers to the burdensome cares of this life experienced by the wealthy in in gaining and maintaining their wealth. Sickness is the result of the physical stress of all the toil to achieve this wealth. High blood pressure, I could think of one. And anger is the emotional outcome of all the frustrations involved in attaining these riches. The ambitions of, per, of, of person and the being the target of being of, of more ambitious people and all their failures to constantly be on the guard for the economy for basically what I wrote here is um, all these vexations, all this, uh, the anger. He's got people coming up behind him, snatching at his heels. He says the economy, if, if, what if, if, he, if the economy falls, he gets angry over that. He gets angry over all these things, all these competitors. All these things are, are, are make him angry. He is haunted by the inevitable loss that is coming to him, which angers him. So now we come... So these, these verses, these first from verses 8 to uh, 17, all of what um, the preacher has observed under the sun. This is all the things that are happening... To, uh, well, to 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 just the people who live without regard to God. But now we come to the verses, uh, the final verses in chapter five, where we have the preacher giving his concluding thoughts regarding. What he says, "Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot." Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them 
and to accept the, his lot and rejoice in his toil, in this toil, this is the gift of God. We will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So what we have seen so far from the preacher is experience of those things that happen to us under the sun. A life spent apart from God, a grasping after the wind, vanity and vexation. But now in these verses, we have the key word, God. So God is here. Here the preacher observes that he has seen to be the result of those who have included God in their worldview and how it impacts the enjoyment of life, despite all the ups and downs and the difficulties they experience. And we know they do. We do experience those difficulties. So the believer does not merely see the blessings of this life simply as the fruit of his own labor, but as the gifts from God. And he receives enjoyment and godly contentment. The godly person, whether poor, as in verse 18, or wealthy, verse 19, he knows that these gifts he enjoys are from God. No doubt, he has had his share of life's difficulties. But he doesn't get totally absorbed by them because he has these other things to think about. Seeing life's good things as signs of God's favor, he is, uh, his heart is set alight with rejoicing and filled with the godly joy. Verse 20, he thinks life is good and knows, that, knows uh, what it is to have a heart bursting with happiness. So what he's saying here, God gives this gift of enjoyment. If you have wealth, if you're poor, whatever you have, whatever your lot, he's saying he's, he's beheld that that person who knows that these things come from God, he can, he can enjoy them. They are for his enjoyment. Whether it be wealth or poverty, whatever this man has, he, he eats and drinks and enjoys it because God has given it to him. And no matter how bad his life has been, this person, uh, verse 20, all the bad he doesn't remember. What he does remember is God's blessing and he rejoices in that blessing. So no matter what, how, how you are or how we are, as long as we know that everything good gift comes from God, we can enjoy it. And he wants us to enjoy it. As the Old Testament scholar Walter Kaiser explains, the conclusion of chapter 5 remains the same. Man must get enjoyment, not possessions. And that, capaci- that capacity to, to enjoy, no matter how great or how small, is a gift from God. It is much better to receive wealth as a gift from God, along with the God-given ability to enjoy it, than to see wealth as an end to itself. It doesn't, if you're wealthy, if God's blessed you with wealth, as long as you know that that wealth is His blessing to you, not for yourself, but it is for you to use. I mean, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute too. But we can enjoy it. Whatever, whatever our lot, we should enjoy what we got, what God has given us. It doesn't, we don't have to say, because I like this thing and God's given it to me, it's, you know, to shy away from it. If God's given it to you, enjoy it. He wants you to enjoy it. As long as you give Him back the praise and the thanksgiving for it. Not that you've, not that you've received, it, received it out of your own toil. So both Old and New Testament agree that contentment and joy accompany those who think and live with a perspective beyond the sun rather than limiting themselves to what is under the sun. Basically, the whole scripture says when you, whatever you receive, it's not just for you to receive, to hoard it to yourself, to get fat with. It is for you to give glory back to God with. We give our tithes. We, we, we hear about horrible things that are happening in the world and we give. We give to those... Uh, 
suffering brothers and sisters that are that are uh, third world or are being oppressed. We give. God's blessed us with money, with uh, with wealth. Here we give, and that's what He wants us to do. Listen to the words of our Lord, uh, come from Matthew uh, chapter six. He says, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in to steal." But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart also will, will be also. The eye, of, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your, eyes are, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or I think in Hebrew it was mammon, uh, possessions. And we have a promise from our Lord. Whether or not you are uh, a Christian of many years, or whether you are new to the faith, or whether or not you... you um, have not yet come to faith. He says, he says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which, for which, or which one of you, if, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven could give good things to those who ask him. And also he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We must seek God first. All these blessings that God gives us are for our enjoyment. He says ask. We, we don't ask, we don't receive. We, we ask that we might enjoy and that God will bless us. And, uh, and that, is for, that, that, is, that is for us and for His glory. And I'll finish with this little thing that I got off of uh, one of the blogs. He says this. This is from Jason Halopoulos. He says this. Name it, Christian. You can have it in Christ. Whatever it is you desire, the answer is found in Christ. The boat you long for... What is it but a desire for freedom and rest, which is ultimately found in Christ? Matthew chapter 11, Romans 8. He's not saying that if it is, it is things, material things. He's saying, you want, you, know, you want rest? Ask. That promotion, at its root, it is simply security and respect. Psalm 62. Ultimately, these are found in Christ. Friendship? What a friend we have in Jesus. One who, who never abandons or forsakes us. Deuteronomy 3 or Matthew 28. Family. We have an older brother who leads the way. Hebrews 2.11. And unites us to a father who, never, who ever loves us. Galatians 4. Justice. He is a judge who, never, who forever upholds righteousness. 2 Timothy. Comfort. We have a priest whoever, whoever, who forever intercedes. Hebrews 7. Wisdom. We have a prophet who always proclaims, Hebrews 3. A counselor who, who is ever ready with comfort, Matthew 11. A provider who ever supplies, Philippians 4. 
a savior who pays the price for our sins, Hebrews 10. A defender who will guard and keep us, Psalm 23. If we desire love, it is found in his spread arms on the cross, Romans 8, Ephesians 3. If we want hope, it is found in his resurrection, 1 Corinthians. If we seek peace, it is found in his blood shed for us, Colossians 1. If we seek joy, it is given in his spirit, Galatians 5. Happiness, it is found in knowing what awaits us in Revelation 21. Power, you will rule with him forever, Revelation 3. Are you hungry? He is the bread of life, John 6. Thirsty, he is the living water, John 7. Naked, he covers you with his righteousness, 2 Corinthians. Health, he is the great physician, Psalm 147. Wisdom, he is the font, Colossians 2.3. Knowledge, he holds it in his hand, Colossians 2.3 again. Rest, he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew 11. Compassion, it flows from him, James 5. Comfort, he never crushes a bruised reed. Riches, we are made co-heirs with him. It comes from Galatians 3. We have a richness in Christ. What, what the preacher was talking about is the reality of the world around us. It's what he has observed in, in the things under the sun. But our focus should be the things that are above the sun. Our joy is, what's, is what God gives us and how we give it back to him. Um, this vanity of wealth, it is fleeting. But it is... Uh, it is the way of the world. And we need to be content with what God's given us. We must, we must uh, always be content. And when we lose our contentment, that then leads into other sins in life. And then uh, when we become wanting, and that's when we've got to be, wor- be wear- wary of. So... We're nearly halfway through Ecclesiastes. I think next next time will be sort of the middle bit. Um.